Happy Father's Day to all you guys out there who are dads or maybe one day want to be a dad. My name is Matt. I'm the high school pastor here at Mount Pleasant. It's my pleasure to be able to share the message with you today. And I'm calling it Dads and Jesus. And maybe that sounds a little simple to you, but uh, maybe you grew up like I grew up. And where most of my faith conversations, anything that was spiritual or religious, pretty much happened with my mom. My dad's a believer and there's, everything's fine there, but anything that kind of happened to do with church or my faith, I was always a conversation with my mom. And I wonder how many families out there are like that as well. I've got two kids and they're both pretty young, two and, and three. So I can't stand up here and give you all the advice and all the wisdom about uh, being a father or things like that. But I can tell you uh, what I aspire to do and what I aspire to be and where that inspiration comes from. So today we're going to be talking about dads and Jesus. But really this applies to any parent and actually it kind of applies to anyone who has influence in a young person's life. And I think that can apply to all of us. And so I want you to listen today for you and not for someone else. So we're going to take a break from our series on hope, which is actually just a break from our series on Matthew. And we're going to look at something from the gospel of Mark. That's okay with you. See, every once in a while in the scriptures, we come across someone who does or says something extraordinary. And uh, that's what we find that oftentimes in the Old Testament, we bring out those stories, but there's something in the New Testament. As I thought about um, dads and their relationship with Jesus that just stood out to me, and it comes from Mark chapter five. If you wanna turn there, we'll, we'll read this in a minute, but this guy's name is Jairus, and he's a synagogue leader. And a synagogue leader was the, the person that was in charge of the local worship services in the community. And so there was a synagogue and, and this, the leader was a lay leader. So he wasn't like a full-time religious leader, but he was someone who was a Jewish leader that was respected, that was honored, that was in charge of things. Um, and this encounter that he has with Jesus, I think speaks a lot into the things about a father and his relationship with Jesus. So I want to invite you to stand with me as we read from Mark chapter 5. Starting in verse 21. This is what it says. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. I want you to skip down to verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. And he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12. At this, they were completely astonished, and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them 
to give her something to eat. Thank you. You guys can be seated. So many things that we can learn from this encounter, but today I want us to focus our attention on the things that Jairus does. You know, this scene is one of few that we see where a Jewish leader is not only open, but responsive to Jesus. Why is that? I think the answer can be found in verse 23 when Jairus comes to Jesus and says this, my little daughter is dying. And that's easy to read over if you've, if you've, been a, if you've read the Bible a lot because you know that what happens, people get sick and then Jesus heals them, right? And so we kind of always know how the story is going to end, but sometimes we just have to take a step back and put ourselves in Jairus' shoes when he comes to Jesus and says this sentence, my little daughter is dying. It's heavy. There's a lot there. And so um, I, 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 I try to imagine this. I, I think back to when my wife and I were pregnant with our first child. I remember the day we went to the doctor's office to find out the gender. And uh, I, I know that some of you guys are, are crazy and you want to be surprised, right? You want that, on that day, like, oh, surprise me, right? That's not me. Uh, I got to be prepared. I got a plan. I got I to know what's coming. But so we go to the doctor's office and we're, we're going to find out. And I, I just, I still remember this day because, you know, they put it up on the screen, right? And it, and it said, it's a girl. And my heart sank for a minute. Why? Because I knew that I would fall hard and fast for a little girl. And if you could see a behind the scenes look at me being a father, you'd probably laugh a lot, but um, you would see that it's difficult. It's hard to have a, a, a little girl because she has this combination of cuteness and sass together that are just, it's, it's hard. And I don't want to see her in, in pain or hurt or sad even for a second. And so just the other week, she was riding what's called a, a balance bike. And if you've ever seen these things, but it's a bicycle that doesn't have pedals, okay? And so she just like uses her feet and she learns how to balance on this. She's gotten pretty good. She's going up and down the sidewalk all by herself. And, and uh, I'm in the driveway and I'm doing something. And, and all of a sudden I hear a crash and then a scream. And my response, without even thinking for a moment as I just dropped everything, and I ran to her. And she was okay, don't worry, she just fell. And, 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 I, and I sit there and thought about it, why was that my response? Like, I didn't have to say, oh, should I, what should I do? Like, I just dropped everything and I went to her because I can't for a second, I don't want to see her in pain. I don't know why I did that other than to know that she has my heart. And when I read this story and I see a father fall at the feet of Jesus, pleading with him, my little daughter is dying, I can't help but to imagine what he was feeling. And I know that maybe there are some of you in this room that know what that feeling is like, but this is what it took. This is what it took for a respected Jewish leader to fall at the feet of Jesus, the health of his little girl. So the most obvious point that we can see from the very beginning of this text is this. Dads need to seek Jesus. There's no better explanation to what happens than that Jairus sought after Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in the Gospels, the people who get healed are the ones who go to Jesus. They're the ones who, who find Jesus. They go to him looking for healing. Mark puts it like this. Mark says that Jairus pleaded with him. And if we go back to the original language, the New Testament is written in Greek. This word pleaded is this word parakaleo. 
And it means to make a call to when up close and personal. In other words, to beg. And this is the word that's used to describe what Jairus does to Jesus. He gets up close, he gets personal, he pleads, he begs with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Picture that for a minute. This father, despite everything that said that he shouldn't, went to Jesus for the sake of his child. Remember, he's a Jewish leader. I don't know how much you know about what, what's happening between Jewish leaders and Jesus, but they didn't really mesh well. Jesus was telling parables that they didn't really like to hear. Jesus was, was saying things, doing miracles and all this stuff. They're saying, where does his power come from? They just had this tension between them. And Jesus is still keeping this low profile as the Messiah. And so when, when Jairus goes to Jesus and pleads with him, it's significant. He steps out and he says, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It doesn't matter that the crowd that's here, I'm coming to you, Jesus. And he seeks after him, knowing that he can be the one to heal. And I think that somewhere along the way, our culture has just made it unpopular to follow Jesus. They've made it unpopular to, to seek Jesus. You see, a man is supposed to be able to rely on himself, to, to be strong enough himself, to fix things himself. And when you talk about falling at the feet of Jesus, you're talking about complete surrender. Complete surrender of your ability to make things right. But that's exactly what Jesus demands from every single one of us. Just a few chapters later, Jesus will say this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me. We need fathers who will completely surrender to Jesus. We don't need any more dads who are too cool to talk about their faith. We don't need any more dads who are too uncomfortable to talk about Jesus with their kids. We need fathers who will surrender to Jesus completely and are ready to go to him with all that they are, no matter the social expectation. Here's what this means for fathers and for all of us, that we need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. We all need this. There's no more excuses. Every single one of us need to seek Jesus with all that we are. And here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about just going to church. I'm not talking about some checklist of what you think it looks like to be a, a, a Christian. I'm talking about having a real, genuine, and authentic relationship with Jesus. You don't know how to have one of those? Ask someone around here to help you. There's just too much at stake for us not to do this, you see, the, the, well, the spiritual well-being of your children could depend on your ability to have a relationship with God. It could. And so what is holding you back from having the type of relationship with God that you know that you should have? You see, even as a pastor, I have to be very intentional about this. I'm very intentional about what it looks like for me to read my Bible on, on my own time and have that devotion time. I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to do that better. I'm, I'm trying to be more intentional about my prayer life and all these type of things. Anything that's significant, that's important, takes intentionality. You, 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 you have to be specific about this. It doesn't happen by accident. I want to see Mount Pleasant filled with fathers who are chasing after Jesus, filled with parents who are following Jesus with everything that they are, because when this happens, the next generation changes, and we all benefit from it. Amen. Over the past couple of weeks, I've gotten the opportunity to go to a lot of open houses for our graduating seniors, and it's a, a really cool thing for me to, to do that, and it's special for me, not because I get to go and tell them congrats. I've already, I've already kind of done that, but I've get, I get the opportunity to go into their home. 
And I get the opportunity to see their baby pictures and all those type of things. But I get the opportunity to, to talk to their parents, to see what their home life is like. And I get to see something that's really important that I need to be reminded of. That oftentimes, a student's relationship with God is very reflective of what their parents' relationship with God looks like. And it's important for me to recognize that because I'm starting to realize there's only so much that I can do. You see, being a high school pastor, I, I only get to spend a couple hours a week with high school students. And, and I, I'm starting to realize I don't really have as much influence and say into how they turn out as I wish I did. I, I wish I could say, man, uh, if I do all these things, they'll turn out like this, but that's really just not the case. And I'm starting to realize that even though I get a front seat to seeing teenagers and their relationship with God every single week, and I love what I do, I'm realizing that the biggest influence in a kid's life, no matter what you say or how you want to twist it or what you think, the biggest influence in a kid's life is their parent. The parents have the most influence in a kid's life. And so the question is, is what is it? Is it time? Is it, is it effort? What is holding you back from pursuing Jesus, a relationship with Christ, with all that you are because you know that they are watching? They know whether it's real or not. And so there's a lot at stake here. Jesus, a couple chapters later, would say this, and you know this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. See, I guarantee you that Jairus had plenty of things that could have held him back. What people thought, his position in the community, but he put all that aside and he pursued Jesus. He sought Jesus even in the midst of the crowd because he knew he had the power to make things right. Dads need to seek Jesus, first and foremost. The second thing that I want you to see from this text is this. Dads need to have Jesus in their home. Jairus said this when, when he was talking to Jesus. He said, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. What's interesting here is that nowhere in the Old Testament is the laying on of hands uh, symbolic of healing. That just doesn't happen. But these people are beginning to realize that Jesus is different. And so he says, he says come and place your hands on here. But really want, what I want you to see here is that he invites Jesus into his home. He says, please, please come. He invites Jesus into his home. And again, having Jesus in your home was a, a big deal. And it's something that Jewish people didn't do. Who is Jesus often accused of eating with and going to their homes? Sinners and tax collectors, right? Not something that you want to find yourself in that category. But here we have a respected Jewish leader coming to Jesus and saying, I need you to come to my house. And so Jesus goes, and I think from this small sentence, we can see the value of welcoming Jesus in your home. My kids are so small, they don't really know the difference, but my wife and I are trying to incorporate faith and in, in Jesus into them, even at the youngest of ages. And so one of the things that we do every night is that we, we pray with them. So we pray with our kids. And Dawson, my son, who's two, he doesn't really, he just repeats whatever we say, right? And so we'll pray, and then he repeats it back to us, and those, those are his prayers. He prays what we pray. But Willow, who's going to be four next month, she knows how to pray on her own now. And so Sometimes those, like in the past, those prayers have been, they've been long, right? And so she's just been praying and thanking God for everything and looking around the room and thanking him for those things. 
And sometimes you'd be like, are you even still praying? What are we doing? Right? And so, but she's kind of figured it out and figured out how to condense these things. And usually what it looks like for her is that she just thanks God for the individuals that live in her house. Right? And so she'll say, thank you for my mommy. Thank you for my daddy. Thank you for Dawson. And thank you for Duke, who's our dog. He gets prayed for as well. And so, um, but what we always do with both of our kids is at the end of the prayers, no matter how it's gone, we always say, and thank you for Jesus. And, and I begin to think and wonder, it's like, do they really, like, do they know who Jesus is? I know that Dawson doesn't, he's, he's too young. He doesn't, he doesn't comprehending all those things. Willow's got a little bit of idea because she comes to church and sings songs and the books that we read, but I think they really grasp like who Jesus is. And so I asked the question, is, is it important? Is it significant that, I, that we do this? And I think the answer is yes. Absolutely, because we are, we are making, talking about Jesus, praying with Jesus. We are making Jesus a part of our routine. He's a part of our family. He's a part of our home. He's a part of what we do. And I feel like that's very significant. I think that's exactly what each and every one of us need to do. Maybe it doesn't look the same. Hopefully it doesn't look the same depending on how old your kids are, but maybe they're even gone. Maybe, maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe you're a great-grandparent. Well, guess what? You still have an influence. And you still have the opportunity to make Jesus a part of your home. And this is important. We can't afford to miss this because there was never meant to be a separation between faith and family. That's never how, how God designed this. Earlier I read to you from, from Mark chapter 12 when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. That originally comes from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy chapter six, when, when Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel. Here's what he says. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and your gates. Your faith is supposed to be a part of your home. And there's no more excuses for it. Faith has to be welcome. You see, as a pastor, one of the things that happens to me is that every big meal, Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas, Easter, all these things, when, whenever we have a big family meal, they always ask me to pray, right? Because I'm so spiritual. And so, you know, they're like, Matt, will you pray for us? And it's fine. It's not a big deal. I, I, I like praying, so it's not a big deal. But one of the things that, that I enjoy the most is when I'm at my parents' house and my mom or my dad prays. Because I get to see their faith and I get to see them talk to God and I get to see what they care about and what they're what they, what they care to pray for and all those type of things, it's encouraging to me. Listen, you don't get to sit this one out. No matter if you're a foster parent or if you got 12 kids at, living at home or maybe you're a single person living all on your own, you need to invite Jesus into your home. You need to make him a part of what you do. You need to welcome him. You need to put him on display. I was talking to someone recently that I went on a mission trip with and he was telling me a story that I didn't realize happened while we were there. And uh, we were in Cuba and our team was distributing meals in, in Havana and we were 
taking meals into people's homes and, and praying with them and talking with them, encouraging them. And he told me, he said, we went into one little old lady's home and she just had this very small place and we went into her living room and in there she had a shrine of Jesus. I mean, it was incredible. She, he said there, was, there were candles everywhere. There were pictures of Jesus. There were crosses. There was a Bible sitting out, all this type of stuff. And he said, and I saw a statue of Jesus. And he says, I, I was looking at it. I was looking at all of it. And I was just thinking, man, how cool this was. And he got a little closer. He started looking at stuff. And he looked at the statue and he realized the statue was actually a statue of Willie Nelson. <laughs> and he didn't have the heart to tell her any otherwise. And so she still thinks it's Jesus, and that's fine. So make sure you're inviting the right Jesus in your home. That's what I'm saying. It's a true story, but here's what I'm saying. You have the responsibility to make Christ a part of your home. It's no one else's responsibility but yours, and there's no cookie-cutter explanation or, or way to do this. It, it could be look different for all of you, depending on what your home life looks like, what your family looks like, but one thing is the same. Faith, Jesus, needs to be a normality in your home. It needs to be normal for you to have conversations about faith. It needs to be normal for you to talk about Jesus. It needs to be normal for you to be able to explain what God is teaching you in the moment. So what do you need to do to make this happen? Jairus did not care what other people thought. All he knew was that Jesus had the opportunity and the ability to make things right in his home, and so he invited him. And I know that you care about the people in your home, and so what is it gonna take for you to make Jesus Christ, faith, a part of your home? Lastly, I want you to see this from our text is that dads need to trust Jesus with their kids. This is probably the hardest one to do practically. But what we skipped over in the story is, is important to recognize. You see, when Jairus came to Jesus and pleaded with him and told him that his daughter was dying and, and Jesus agreed to come with him, what happens next, the verses that we skipped over, it's important because what happens is it appears that Jesus got distracted. You see, he was in the midst of this crowd and some, somebody has touched Jesus and Jesus immediately recognizes that that power has left him. And so he starts asking the questions, who touched me? Like, like he doesn't know, right? And so, but he asks these questions like, who touched me? And tells his disciples, uh, well, what's going on? Who touched me? And they're like, Jesus, there's like a bunch of people. We don't know. We need to keep moving. And, and all this commotion happens and he finds this woman who touched him and realized that she's been healed and he's talking with her. And in the midst of all this commotion in this crowd, Jairus has delivered this message. Your daughter is dead. And I can't help but to think what Jairus was thinking in this moment. Because to him, like to Jairus, what he just told Jesus, like there's nothing more important than this, right? What I just told you, my little daughter is dying. There's, this is time sensitive. This is urgent. This needs your attention now. Please come to my house. And it appears that Jesus got distracted. Who touched me? What, what's going on? And, and he stops. And then all of a sudden, Jairus has delivered this message. Your daughter is dead. Why bother him any longer? But that's not how Jesus perceived this. He had it all taken care of. It just wasn't the way that Jairus had planned it. Notice what's not in the text. 
What's not in there is that Jairus doesn't pull Jesus aside and say, come on, let's go. I, I can get you through here. Jairus doesn't use his, his uh, power in the community to disperse the crowd so Jesus can go. Jairus doesn't remind Jesus, hey, remember what I just told you? Leave her alone. Let's go. Come with me. It's, it appears for all we know, because it's not in there, that Jairus just trusted Jesus. And so when he gets this news that his daughter is dead, we don't even get to see the response that Jairus has because Jesus steps in. Mark says, overhearing what they said. In other words, they weren't talking to Jesus. They were talking to Jairus. Jairus, your daughter's dead. Leave the teacher alone. He can't fix this anymore. And Jesus hears this. Like he must have been talking to the woman or been in the crowd and he hears what they say to Jairus and he immediately steps in with a response for Jairus. And he says this, don't be afraid, just believe. And it's interesting because Jesus is speaking into Jairus' mindset before he even says a word. And Jairus hasn't said anything and Jesus speaks into him. Did he, does he know how Jairus feels? Probably, right? But he steps in. And when Jesus says believe, it's this, it's this Greek word, pisteo. And pisteo, is, it, a good translation is believe, but another way to understand it is to entrust. And so what, one of the ways I try to understand this is, is, is this. When Jesus looks at Jairus, he says, don't be afraid. Jairus, don't be afraid. Listen, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. I know what's going through your mind. I know that you think you know how this is going to end. But don't be afraid. Trust me. Just, just trust me. And the rest of the story is the miraculous healing of his daughter. Jairus exemplified complete trust in Jesus for his child. So the question that I have for you today is this. Do you have complete trust in Jesus for your children? And I recognize that it could be a complicated question for some of you. Some of you uh, are, are in the midst of a place in life where your kids have walked away. Or maybe they're in the process of that. They're drifting away from their faith. Some of you have kids who are going off to college, who are in college that maybe are making questionable decisions. Some of you have adult children who, who you wish you could start making decisions for them because it appears they're messing it up. Do you trust Jesus with your kids? You see, every couple of weeks I get to be the online host for um, our online campus. So hello, everybody who's watching online. And one of the cool things that happens is they have this cool community and they have this chat room where everybody says where they're from and, and, and they say hi to each other and one of the things that we also have on there is a, a private chat. And so you can submit a private prayer to the online host. And so when I'm the host for that, um, sometimes people will submit things in, in the prayer time and they'll, they'll just private message me and say, can you pray for this? And it's a really cool thing that we do because in that moment online, I, can, we, I pray for people in their specific needs. But what happens is that every time that I'm the online host, it happens nearly every time, is that there's this lady, and she's probably watching today, there's this lady who submits a private prayer request. And it's the same prayer request every single time. And so when I see it come across, I know what the prayer request is going to be. But we pray for it every time. And I imagine that I'm not the only host that she shares it with. And I also imagine that, that that's not the only time she prays this prayer. But her prayer request is for her adult son who no longer follows Jesus. And she says, I know that God's going to work this out. I know that he has a plan, but I want you to pray for him. She's trusting 
Jesus. She knows that God will make it right, but she's doing her part as a parent in praying for her child. Even in the waiting, even in the hard times, even in the midst of a storm, can you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus with your children? Proverbs 3, and you probably know this, says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Dads, I want you, we need to place complete trust in Jesus for the well-being of our kids. We need fathers who want to see Jesus do incredible things with our kids and trust him. Some of you probably know the, the Piercefield family. I think they're in service today. Dave and Kim, they've got four kids, Sydney, Seth, Spencer, and Sutton. And Spencer has been a part of my small group for the past four years. So through that, I've gotten to know their family pretty well. And you may, maybe you know Spencer. He's played on the Cinder Grove basketball team. He set a couple records last year for most three-pointers in a game and most career three-pointers. I think he's here. You can get his autograph after service if you want to. <laughs> but uh, somewhere around Spencer's sophomore and junior year, he started receiving interest from colleges to, to play basketball for them. And some Division I schools started talking to them and, and talking to them and wanting them to come in and work out and all these type of things. But also somewhere along that time frame, Spencer started to feel that God was calling him to go into the ministry. And so he had this like, this dynamic that he was, that he was working through. And he decided in that time that he said, I'm going to make my decision where I go to school based on where I can get the right education for ministry. And so he put a pause in all the division one schools and everything that was going on and said, well, this is where I'm going. And I tell you that story because I want you to put yourself in, in dad's shoes in Dave's shoes, who spent so much time working with his kid and listen, paying for AAU and all those type of things and, and doing all these things and all these things to work to where he get to and said, I don't know what, what, what the future holds, but, but I'm pursuing what God has planned for me. And, and Dave was 100% supportive. We need fathers like Dave. We need dads who are going to completely trust Jesus with the well-being of their kids, no matter what the future holds or what you think the future holds. We need dads who are going to completely trust in the Lord with all that they are and not leaning on their own understanding. Here's what I want you to know today as I bring this to a close. We need dads and Jesus together. There's no more time to separate that. We need fathers who will seek a relationship with Jesus, with all that they are, who are gonna make Jesus a part of the home and who are going to trust him with their kids. And the beauty of all this is that so many of you are doing this already. So many of you parents are already leading your children and willing to go to the feet of Jesus for him. And so keep it up. We need parents like this. We need foster parents like this. I, we need grandparents like this and great-grandparents like this. We need small group leaders like this who are willing to put Jesus ahead of everything else, who are willing to combine the gospel and people together because a generation needs to know God better. Because there is a generation of kids and students and even adults that need people to go before them and to pursue Jesus with all that they are because listen to me, all of us have a role to play in this. I'm not just talking to dads. I'm not just talking to moms. All of us have a role to have an influence in the people who are looking up to us and they're watching.
today, I want you to be encouraged just to continue to pursue Jesus with all that you are, to make him a part of where you live and just to trust him and to see how it turns out.